Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. While people remember the original Woodstock Festival, a few other concerts would take the name of Woodstock. This includes one in 1979, one in 1994, one in 1999, and one in 2009. I had heard about music festivals, and Woodstock in particular, growing up in New Jersey, and was always curious about them. My mom would talk about them, especially the original, like she was interested in it. But when I asked her if she regretted not being a part of that world, she said not at all. She had kids, she had a life that she couldn't just run away to go see a show. It's almost like when I would point out to her that she was interested in it, because she was saying she was interested in it, she recoiled from it, as if pointing out that she might have wanted to try something different hurt her in some way, so I eventually avoided doing that. I often wondered, though, was she sad that she had missed out on something that was potentially accessible to her? And she was aware of it, but she couldn't do it because she had chosen a different life. Because of this, I had an interest in festivals, more so maybe than other people, and wanted to go to one. But I was also real nervous about it. And I've been to Lollapalooza over the years. I almost went to Woodstock 94 with my friends. My mom encouraged it, and the car was packed, but the news kept talking about how it was deteriorating up there at Woodstock 94 enough that we decided, eh, it's not worth it. Instead, we just got Burger King, played video games at the arcade. It's a pretty good trade-off. I would still continue to go to festivals in the 90s and saw some really fun music. What would eventually cause me to lose interest in music festivals completely was when I somehow found myself at Woodstock 99 on some very hot summer days. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about that experience. This podcast will be a little different than some of the other shows that I've done. I'm going to break it down into two sections. I'm going to talk a little bit about the festival itself from a technical point of view. Then I'm going to go into my experiences at Woodstock 99 and tell you what I saw there and how I got there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Woodstock 99 was a music festival that was held from July 22nd to July 25th, 1999 in Rome, New York. 
It was one of several musical festivals that tried to capitalize on the Woodstock name. This was one of the ones that tried to hold it in upstate New York, like the original Woodstock. The other one that did that was the Woodstock 94. This one would be held at Griffiths Air Force Base, which is about 100 miles from the original Woodstock site. Much like the 94 version of Woodstock, it would get a lot of TV coverage. The cable TV network MTV did a lot of live coverage. It was broadcast on radio, and eventually parts of it would be released on DVD and live. Versions of the music would be released on CD. That's all great. But that's not the reason most people remember Woodstock 99. It was because things went downhill very quickly. Conditions there were hot. The food and water was very overpriced. There were various assaults, theft, arson, and even people getting killed. And as a person who was there, it was scary. Are you a fan of the Retros podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retros Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. The festival was held at Griffiths Air Force Base, which was decommissioned now and was considered a super fun site, which meant it was a dump site for some pretty bad stuff. The base had been closed in 1995, and it was being developed as the Griffiths Business and Technology Park. Since the last Woodstock was crashed because it was an open festival, people were finding ways in, as was the original Woodstock. They saw Griffiths Air Force Base, which was more out in the middle of nowhere, as more defensible. They also put up a pretty high plywood and steel fence. What they didn't realize is that people wouldn't be trying to break into Woodstock, but ultimately would be trying to break out of Woodstock. There would be two main stages and then a bunch of secondary venues. This included alternate stages, a rave tent, which I was next door to, a film festival, and a film festival sponsored by IFC. All sound really great. They also managed to get a lot of really big acts for the time. Korn, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Alanis Morissette, DMX, Limp Bizkit, Metallica, Kid Rock, Creed, very big artists at the time. There were some people from the original Woodstock who performed at this version of Woodstock, although none of the original bands performed there. Some bands were supposed to play but had to cancel. Bands like Sugar Ray, The Foo Fighters, Al Green, The Deftones, Rob Zombie, Slipknot, and probably a bunch of others. So a pretty good lineup for the time. Now a lot of the basic conveniences were supposed to be provided for. They had lots of places that sold things like food and water. They also had ATMs and you could also send emails at various places. I was in one of the tents where you could get on a computer. Tickets cost about $150. That's before the service charge. If you bought your ticket at the gate, it was $180. Now they say there were about 400,000 people attending. Now I've heard official figures much lower than that at 220,000 or 250,000, which was the ticket cap. And I have also heard that they keep the number artificially low because then they would have to pay the bands more. It seemed like a great idea, especially for Rome, which is near the festival site. It's estimated that tourists would spend 30 to 40 million in the area during this very short festival. But if you didn't go, you could watch it on pay-per-view where it was simulcast. And supposedly a half million people paid for that pay-per-view experience. In addition to performances, you got interviews with not just the people performing, but people on the ground there.
the 30th anniversary of the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. We must be in heaven, man! The ticket for Woodstock 99 is on sale. While watching it on TV or on the news, it quickly became obvious that something was wrong. It was hot to begin with. It reached over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 38 degrees Celsius, and because they had chosen an area that was way out in the open, there was no shade for people. It was its own heat island. So while it might be 100 degrees out in the world, it was 10, 15 degrees hotter when you got closer to the stages. And they were really far apart from each other. If you wanted to get from the east stage to the west stage, it was 2.3 miles to get there. And to get between them, you had to walk on concrete the entire time because there wasn't enough room on the grass where all these campers had set up. And because they had all set up there, you couldn't walk. But then they would move on to the concrete. So you had campers sleeping on concrete, which was really hot. Then people got hit with prices. Food and water was being sold by vendors, and it was very expensive for people, which got crazy pretty fast. They were going to have free water, but the line was huge to get that. And a few bad apples attacked the water line, and this created giant mud pits. Now, as I said, this was a super fun site, and that meant that the groundwater and soil at the site was contaminated with toxic chemicals and heavy metals. And so you didn't want to be hanging out in that water if you could prevent it. Add to that mud the fact that there weren't enough toilets installed for the number of people showing up. Very quickly, most of them were overflowing and not usable. And when you have overflowing toilets, they go right into the mud pit. This led to attendees thinking they're in mud actually being in waste. The worst things that started to happen happened kind of quickly, and you could kind of feel the whole concert falling apart. You started to have arson, and then you started to have assaults of all varieties. Terrible, violent things that would be reported for years afterwards. At the same time that people were dying of heat and getting hit by cars while trying to leave the concert, the bonfires started. This was on the final night, and once the fires began, they just kept feeding it, throwing in the empty water bottles and anything that people could find. People were angry and frustrated. The aftermath of this were poor performance by law enforcement that led to suspensions, demotions, only a handful of arrests, which seemed really low for the amount of bad stuff that was very obviously happening there. People just weren't safe. It would take three weeks to clean up the site after the festival, and lots of equipment and facilities were damaged that needed to be replaced. Sadly, all of this craziness would pretty much doom the idea that another Woodstock would happen, although they would try to do another one a couple of years later. But the name had pretty much been sullied at this point, and I think people would prefer to forget Woodstock 99, which is a shame because there were some really good performances. They would release the music of Woodstock on two-disc compact disc set with 32 performing artists. It was released on Epic Records in October of 99. They also did a DVD that had the highlights really focused on the positive aspect of the concert, having a song from each of the 29 participating big acts. It's also been covered in other podcasts and posts that you can find online. I wrote one up myself, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. 99. Would you? Three days, over 40 bands, and a lifetime of experiences. The weekend of July 23rd in Rome, New York. Woodstock 99. Now, don't wait. Visit Ticketmaster or call the Woodstock 99 hotline. This is it. 
I was a developer at a tech company in late 1999 in New York City. This company decided that they would sponsor Woodstock 99, and they asked for people to volunteer to go. The company was a great place to work, had a lot of talented people all trying to grow the company in whatever way they could. It was kind of typical of the early dot-com era of companies. This was not too long before things went south on that front. I mentioned that I worked at a company because I can't think of another company where I, as a member of a team that spent all their time writing code, would somehow wind up in the broiling July heat of a music festival. This was normally the purview of marketing, but in a startup environment, all things were possible. So when an email went out asking for volunteers to help out during a music festival project, I threw my hat into the ring. As I mentioned, I was kind of into Woodstock and the idea of seeing what it was about. I grew up with the idea of it. A group of us went up in a 15-passenger van that we rented. I drove a good amount on the way up, and we laughed and joked all the way there. Once we got near Rome, we hit traffic. This was the first indication of the enormity of the event that was about to unfold. And the tone of the day, though, could not be more different than the days that would follow. People were chatting with each other in cars, exchanging food and drink, blasting music, all while we crawled toward our destination. It kind of felt like the spirit of the original festival was around us. Now, at this point, I'd like to note that as a sponsor, we didn't sleep in tents like the other attendees of the festival. We were put up in military housing on Griffiths Air Force Base. It wasn't luxurious. There were four of us in a bedroom, but it was a great deal better than what the average ticket holder would need to deal with. I don't recall the setup period for our booth. I remember carrying boxes, but it was in a large tent filled with other tech companies like Amp3.com and Silicon Graphics. We were there to sign up new members to our service, which was a community. It was a mission we tried really hard to do, but quickly things were starting to degrade and then degraded really quickly. The first hint that something was wrong is when people came into the tent on the very first day and were overly enthusiastic about our free water bottles. We were giving them away with each sign up and many people preferred it over our frisbees and other tchotchkes. The thing is, people just didn't want the bottle. What they wanted, or more accurately, what they needed, was for us to fill them. So it's day one, and people are already desperate for water to drink. Sadly, we couldn't fill those bottles, which led to people either kind of leaving them at our table or discarding them out on the festival grounds. I'm sure many of them wound up in the fire, and I would spot many while exploring and watching musical acts. That first night, I went back to our housing early, thought I was going to get up real early the next day, couldn't wait. What I would learn later from people who stuck around to watch what was going on is that there was a lot of substance abuse everywhere. On the first night when we had closed, we would find people passed out along the edges of the tent that we were in, showing off all our computer stuff. Many were in very rough shape with nowhere to go. They gravitated toward the largest tent because it was very large. And if I remember right, that night we had a break-in and stuff from other sponsors was either damaged or stolen. Unsurprisingly, our flying discs, empty water bottles, and sun visors remained largely untouched. Furthermore, that night a rave was happening right behind the tent, and unfortunately people decided to use the area between the tent and the rave as a bathroom. And when it started to rain, a river of human waste ran into the tent. So we salvaged what we could and took it outside the tent for day two. So at this point, our mission to recruit people was over. We had brought 
something to the tent that we thought would just kind of give out. But it turned into a real commodity. It was fortune cookies. This was about the only free food available to the, I guess, 400,000, if you believe the numbers, people in attendance. When we took them out to distribute them, complete chaos ensued. People started grabbing handfuls and then just started walking away with entire boxes. Now, we didn't want any conflict, so we decided it was best to just let everyone have what they could carry. Maybe 30 minutes later, the cookies were gone. It was our boss at the time who made the choice to say, just put the boxes out, let people take whatever they want. If they could carry it, it's theirs. To people's credit, though, and you hear a lot of negative things, the cookie rush was a bit more orderly than I would expect from what I know of Woodstock 99. And we had dozens of large boxes. And as I said, these were gone in under 30 minutes. It might have been closer to 15 minutes. Now that night, since we had given away all the cookies, we thought, well, let's start giving away these Frisbees. We took all the flying discs outside and lined up the boxes by the tent. Now it was starting to get dark, and in the distance, music was thundering, and our area was clearing out quickly. So a co-worker and I decided to just start throwing discs toward people and asking them to catch. That started really nicely. People laughed and played along. But then a group of people grabbed some discs from the boxes and threw them a little harder. Then someone else decided that they should throw a disc as hard as they can into the sky, where it came down, and on whom would be completely random. Eventually, people were just whipping discs skyward or into the crowd, and a crowd was getting bigger and bigger. It was getting pretty dark, and it was hard to see the discs. The giveaway had turned into complete madness as these yellow, and I think we had some white discs, were flying around and raining down on the heaving mass of sweaty people. This went on for a while, because you could pick them up when they fell. It was at this point that I crept away toward the stages. I had very few breaks from work up until this point. Hadn't really seen anything. That night, it felt a little unsafe, but not as bad as the next night. Saturday night, it almost seemed sinister, and when the band Limp Bizkit took the stage, something seemed to sweep over the festival. I wasn't anywhere near the stage, couldn't get close, but fights were breaking out everywhere. I beat a hasty retreat back to the sponsor tent, but there was nobody there. I wandered around trying to find anyone I worked with for two hours. Eventually, I decided I'm just going to try to go back to the housing. I went to the bus stop, got on there, and it took me back to the house. It turns out other people had the same idea, and we had a meeting. We said, what exactly is going on here? Should we actually head to the tent tomorrow? Because tonight was bad, or so we thought. How bad could it get tomorrow? And we actually voted, although I think our boss would have overridden us anyway. She was quite sensible. Ultimately, we decided that we were done here. It would be a five-hour drive to New York City, and longer for those of us in New Jersey. But if we left right away, we could be home around sunrise. All of us threw our stuff into the back of the van. The majority of people just tried to find a way to sleep, and two of us took turns driving all the way home. When I did finally get home, I slept the entire day, only to wake up and see what had happened. The terrible mess, the fires, the violence. I can't tell you how relieved I was to be away, but I felt terrible for the people who had remained. They had paid money to unknowingly put themselves in danger, and the organizers of the event were completely powerless when things went awry. For me, it was dangerous while I was there. I felt in danger the entire time. But there were people being assaulted. And for them, that's a difficult memory they're going to have to carry around with them forever. From that point on, whenever I would hear that someone wanted to plan a new Woodstock, I would think, please don't. 
The original Woodstock, it was a unique event, kind of a once in a generation happening, but people want to make money. But I really believe that music festivals at that scale are a recipe for disaster. They generally don't plan enough and then attendees are largely on their own. And when that's the case, as Woodstock 99 proved, nothing good happens. That's my best recollection of my time at Woodstock 99. It's been over two decades now. So I apologize if I got some details wrong. I will say Woodstock 99 was memorable for lots of people for different reasons. And there'll be a lot of people who might watch it, who enjoy the music, say, of the time. And they will say, oh, I wish I could see or do that. Or they missed out on it. And they are much like my mom and think, oh, I should have maybe gone to that for the experience. And yeah, it was a unique experience. Certainly was very unique. But it was nothing like the stories you hear from the original Woodstock. But maybe those are viewed through nostalgia as well. Maybe now or even a couple of years from now, there'll be some revisionist history related to Woodstock 99. I just think because it was reported, because we had cameras, we know what it was like. Still, it was very interesting and quite a way to end the 90s. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on most of the major social media platforms at Retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. I'd like to thank my friend Chris, who helped by filling in details of things he saw in the tent that I left that night. He stayed behind to help clean things up and saw stuff that he wished he hadn't seen. And I also want to thank Ernie Smith at TDM who suggested I write a piece about Woodstock 99 and ultimately led me to record this podcast. And I hope you enjoyed hearing some of my memories. If you like the show, you can support the show by giving it a good review wherever you download it. It's really the five-star reviews that help people find the show. So if you could give it a five-star review, I would really appreciate that. If you want to support the show further, you could do so by dropping by the Retroist Patreon at patreon.com slash Retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the coolest retro community on the internet. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Every time I tried to get within a quarter of a mile of the stage, I got punched by somebody. Thwack. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.